The information provided on this podcast is intended to be educational and informational only and is not considered to be formal legal advice. The listener should not take or refrain from taking action based on its content. Any listener in need of legal opinion upon which to rely in decision-making should consider formally engaging an attorney to review relevant facts in detail and examine the pertinent law as it applies to those facts. Welcome to Real Estate Milestones, where we explore fascinating topics in commercial real estate with knowledgeable industry experts. I'm your host, Ben Malik, and I'm a young real estate professional who is passionate about adding value to people's lives through the incredible power of real estate. My goal is to help you discover what the heck is going on in the industry and how you can get involved. This is Real Estate Milestones, where your future in real estate lies just around the corner. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Real Estate Milestones. So we got an awesome episode for you in store today. We have David Atkinson, who is the founder and CEO of Zvsphere, which we're going to learn a little bit about today. But a teaser, he's attempting to solve all of the biggest problems with real estate nowadays in, in terms of sustainability, disaster prone, you know, aspect of it, um, energy efficiency, water purification. We have all of the um, biggest problems in the industry. Uh, we have an expert. He's um, had 20 plus years of experience in engineer, engineering design and architecture. Um, and it's going to be a great episode, but to start, David is, has owned the family business or has been part of his family business for 56 years. So David, could you tell us a little bit about, uh, your background there and, um, introduce yourself? Sure, Ben. Hey, thanks for having me. And I'm David Atkinson. I'm the founder and CEO of Zsphere Incorporated. We're in, we're just outside of Jacksonville, Florida here on the beautiful coast of Southeast Georgia. And it's, it's been quite a journey, Ben. So I, I started off very humbly in a family business, a commercial fishing business, believe it or not, on the Great Lakes, just north of Chicago, working on Lake Michigan. And I've been a part of that family business, as you said, for over 50 years. We still run the business to this day. We're not actively fishing, but what we are doing is we are participating and have been doing a multi, we've been participating in a multi-decade fisheries research project with the state of Illinois and federal agencies, really keeping a pulse on the, the fishery in the Great Lakes and the changes that are happening and adjusting fisheries quotas and things like that. So it, it allows me to not only keep that business running, but it also uh, affords me time to go back to my old stomping grounds in Chicago, the Chicago area, and allows me a lot of time on the water, which is one of my favorite things to do, just be on the, you know, the beautiful Great Lakes. You know, they're very beautiful, but they can be very nasty. So I have a lot of interesting experiences and rough weather and winter and all that kind of fun stuff. But then, you know, after, after I, I went to school and I fell in love with computers in school. And so what I did was I started a career in information technology and spent over 25 years in the industry and moved up the ranks and became a, a very senior enterprise level engineer and architect building systems around the world and different technologies with different companies. So it's been quite a ride. And, you know, the... The interesting part about it is when I reflect back on all that experience and I look at where I am today and what we're doing with Zsphere, 
all of that accumulated knowledge has provided me the foundation of experience and knowledge that I needed in order to create the very uh, high value proposition that Zsphere has to offer. And so yeah. that said, you know, being the founder and CEO of Zsphere, it's it's always quite a journey as other startup founders will attest, you know, that may be listening to the podcast. It's a, it's a very challenging place to be. Uh, very humbling, but also very satisfying. So I'm 13 years into the project. And, you know, of course, much of that was, you know, part-time weekends, a lot of sleepless nights, et cetera, and really figuring out and solving these problems. The last two, three years have been, you know, formal startup going to market and me personally at it full-time. I left the IT industry in September of 2019 and have been full-time with Zsphere since, building a, a solid team, a rock-solid team around me. I'm thrilled to have the people that I do on my team. And we're in the process, the late stages of, you know, we're past like the, the pre-seed and the seed phases of our company with friends and family and other funding. And so... Now we're starting to get into more significant funding and, and beginning the process of positioning our business to ramp and scale out of startup mode into volume production. We are in revenue for one of our revenue stream, one of our business lines and revenue streams. So it's a very exciting time for us. Yeah. And I'm excited to get into all that. But before we, before we do it, what was your first milestone in real estate? So yeah, personally, my first milestone real estate and, and a real eye opener for me in terms of starting my journey was the first home that I built uh, with, with my wife back in 1992 in Crystal Lake, Illinois. And so I remember it being an extremely cold winter of very vivid memories of when they were excavating the foundation and beginning the building and everything else. And, uh, had a very, very nice piece of property out there, about a half acre and a nice subdivision. And Crystal Lake was a very young, small town and it grew into a very vibrant community and a great place to raise kids and, and uh, you know, live professionally and personally. So great experience, built several houses since then, but it was, you know, given the fact that you asked, Ben, that was not only good experience real estate wise, because we sold the property in July of 07. For those of you that don't know, that was just prior to the, the great financial crisis and crash. So we did pretty well on that real estate investment. But most importantly, is it really started me thinking uh, and looking at just in, and I, I certainly didn't know what I do now. But it got me thinking and looking as I'm watching them building the house and doing this and that, I'm looking at the materials, the methods and everything that they were doing. And I'm thinking to myself, there's got to be a better way. And that has just, of course, with every home that I've built, it's just, you know, led to a journey of improvement along the way. So that was that was an important milestone, really got things started for me. Awesome. And I know you've come a long way since then. Um, so Certainly. conquering the, the hardest problems we got in the industry, but to, to put this whole problem in perspective. As many people who are listening know, climate change is a massive problem that our world is facing. The second thing, 40% of carbon emissions comes from the real estate industry, whether it's operations or the embodied emissions within the, the buildings that are built. So this may be the greatest possible 
place to solve the problem of climate change. So to know that someone here is ambitiously doing it um, is very exciting. So on that note, what is Zsphere and what are you doing? When when I when I really boil it down to where's the starting point of Zsphere's value proposition, it starts at energy. And what do I mean by that? So energy, one of my one of my favorites, and and you know I'll I'll call I'll refer to him as a mentor because he is I've read his works for years. Gentleman by the name of Chris Martinson. I encourage others to go out and, and look at his works. So Chris has coined the phrase, the energy, energy is the economy. And so without energy, it's very difficult to run an economy. So just uh, for all of your, for all of your viewers, just take a step back and, and stop, you know, and continue listening, but just look around for a second. I want you to look at everything around you. Everything around you was created because of energy. It took energy to mine the minerals, to harvest the wood, to bring the wood to the sawmill, to um, make the nails, the steel nails or the screws or the shingles or the siding or whatever it might be, the computers, everything that we have, the plastics. It took energy to make all of that. And so the greatest thing that we could be doing in terms of combating climate change and our energy challenges is investing in solutions that legitimately have a very long, useful life. And in certain circles, it's called EROI, Energy Return on Investment. And why is that meaningful? It's meaningful because I'd like your listeners to take a step back and apply this formula to everything that they do. And the simple formula is this. If the energy it takes to create something, it could be a chair, it could be a car, it could be a house. If the energy it takes to make that thing costs more then the useful life that you're going to get from it, then it's not worth doing in the first place. In other words, it's EROI negative, and it's not worth even doing it because it's not an investment. It's a short-term fix. And let me give you a great example. So, Ben, you know, we, we all hear that you know windmills wind turbines are great you know in terms of green solutions and the economy and everything else I, i've got a basic question for you what's the average useful life of a wind turbine um can't be that that high given uh i guess you could say depreciation and also the the new technology that might replace it and make it obsolete very soon so i don't know what's yeah, it, se yeah, seven and I, years and I'm, but, yeah, that, that's a great point. No, I'm, I'm referring to just the useful life of it, right? Before it wears out to the point where they got to replace it. So uh, the average yeah. useful life of a wind turbine is 13 years. Mm. Okay. Do you want to know what there are thousands of crews traveling the world doing today with wind turbines? Replacing them, I guess. So, yes, but what they first have to do because they don't 
the 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 economics don't really work to replace the components on an existing wind turbine. So what they have is they have demolition crews that travel the world that actually blast. They put charges at the base of the windmill. They dig a hole next to it. They blow up the base so that the windmill falls in the hole and they bury it. And they, they might harvest the fiberglass from the blades and some of the engine components, but the rest of it, believe it or not, they bury. Wow. And then they build a new one next to it. Mm. So it, important to understand that EROI is everything. And so I gave you, I give you that one example because a lot of the solutions that myself and my peers are seeing deployed in the marketplace don't have the 30, 40 year or more useful lives that we need from them in order to realize the net energy expense of what went into making them, right? Mm -hmm. And because petroleum and our energy is so precious in terms of how we use it and the emissions that we generate and everything else, it's imperative that we reduce those petroleum needs and invest in solutions that have those multi-decade useful lives. Does that make right. sense? Right. And yes, yeah, so, I mean, this is something I've started to get into as I'm writing my thesis and doing my research, but it seems like a lot of the solutions that we have that people are big proponents of, like, like you mentioned, wind and even solar might not be as effective as, well, clearly at the current moment, it seems like fossil fuels might actually have the best uh, EROI, but um, that like a lot of people are scared of nuclear, but nuclear might be the renewable energy of the future that is actually will have like the, the, the RO, like the EROI soonest, but um, people are scared of like catastrophe from them, but um, maybe, maybe they're, they're not as bad as, as people might seem. Yeah, there's, there's, that's a great point. So there's been tremendous advancements in things like thorium reactors and, and really efficient, you know, nuclear reactors that aren't nearly as toxic as the ones that we've grown up with in decades past. So tremendous innovation there. But the, the bottom line, Ben, from our research and the research that's gone into creating Z-Sphere is petroleum is not going in away anytime soon. We're going to need it for many decades, if not 100 plus years from now. Mm -hmm. And when you go back and you look at energy transitions throughout history, you know, let's say when we went from coal to oil or, you know, wood to coal, whatever it may be, normally those transitions take well over 100 years. So wow. I think I think the transition from coal to petroleum was shorter. I want to say that was 80 some years, if my memory is serving me correctly, but usually they're about a hundred or more years in terms of transitions. So we're just a very short time into this transition. We've got a long way to go and we're going to need petroleum for quite a while. So it's in all of our best interests that we use the petroleum that we have in the best, most efficient ways possible. Mm -hmm. So yeah, to get into that a little deeper, my philosophy or just my instinct when I think about the problem is as soon as we can get renewable energy to be cheaper than non-renewable energy, that's when 
a free market will completely transition. And I think the markets are a great force for change, but it has to be efficient and, and economical and make sense. Um, so do you have like a perspective on like the trajectory of these technologies? Like what, what's the cutting edge of like energy technology? Where's the most promise for that replacement in terms of efficiency? And um, I know scale might be a big factor in that, but you know, where do you see that going? Yeah. So we've, Western, Western nations are really spoiled with our lifestyles and everything else. And so here, here's what I've come to understand is that we're all looking at the energy equation wrong. And let me explain. So one of the problems that we've solved with Z-Sphere is that residential, commercial, municipal, and other buildings are extremely inefficient. They hemorrhage energy, right? Whether it's, you know, air conditioning and having to cool a house in the summer or it's heating a home in the winter, right? The, the windows, you know, in most cases they leak, right? And they leak badly and they're just really inefficient. So the approach that we've taken is not around creating enough energy resource to power our needs in, in a conventional sense, but let's flip the problem upside down and let's attack it from a, an angle of why don't we figure out how to make our building extremely energy efficient so that the amount of energy that we use is a fraction of what we otherwise would. Does that wow. make sense? I do so see how you flipped it around. <laughs> so then we don't have to have as big a solar farm or as big a wind farm or, you know, hydropower, nuclear power, whatever it is. So we're reducing our overall energy needs, which is extremely important. And so that's what we've done at Z-Sphere. So our building, uh, are, I, I'm sure, Ben, you're familiar with, if not own a Yeti product, like a Yeti, you know, uh, glass or cooler or whatever it might be, right? They're, they're phenomenal in terms, yes. So they're phenomenal in terms of their performance. You can leave it in a hot car, you know, all day and you're going to come back and it's, if it's an ice drink, you're still going to have the ice at the end of the day. It's an amazing, amazing technology. So whenever you think of Z-Sphere, I'd like you to think of the fact that we are nearly twice the thermal efficiency of a Yeti cooler or a Yeti glass. <laughs> wow. So that's awesome. Yes. So our objective was we were all about, okay, let's get our energy consumption down as low as we can get it. And then we'll take and very meaningfully use solar and wind and other things so that we can generate all of our power needs and take the burden off the grid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, so yes. Amazing. yes. Yeah. I was going to so say. Yeah, anyone ahead, listening should look up uh, myzsphere.com uh, just so you could see what we're talking about. But um, and I know you'll get in. Uh, we'll get into a little bit more about design. But what we're like, I mean, yeah. Could you introduce like the product so we can like kind of hear about it? Because it's just it's really amazing. Like I just it just it's just so revolutionary, unlike anything you've seen before. But um, and I'm and as as we talk about it, you're gonna, it's going to make more sense. But it's just you know, the first glance is a uh, pretty pretty remarkable. Yeah, Ben. So, so what, here's what we did. So when, when, when I got started 13 years ago, 
I, I was looking at the natural disasters like Hurricane Katrina and there was flooding back in the early 90s in St. Louis and and you know you've got the continual hurricanes Hurricane Andrew in South Florida recently Hurricane Dorian in the Bahamas and these hurricanes were devastating I mean they wiped out nearly 80 percent if not more than 80 percent of the buildings and infrastructure and everything so it, it really set me to task on not only solving the efficiency problem, but really um, because I enjoy, I've spent a lot of time on the coastal, uh, the Gulf Coast of the U.S., spent a lot of time there, you know, lived through hurricanes and everything else. And now I live on the southeastern coast of the U.S., right? We still get hurricane effects here. And so what I set to task on solving was not only the energy problem, but the resiliency problem of living in disaster prone real estate because i'm watching as these hurricane comes these hurricanes come in they destroy all the homes and businesses and then they get rebuilt basically the same way and so the next time a hurricane comes through because the hurricane's going to come through again the they get wiped out again so when i look when you know rewind a couple of years in, in all of my research and such, I knew that commodity prices and things were going to start to increase. I had no idea they were going to increase as radically as they did. You know, uh, a lot of it stems from supply chain shocks due to the coronavirus and everything else. But at the end of the day, what's happening now is as those hurricanes come in and destroy buildings, people are starting to rethink because of the cost the extreme increases in cost to rebuild, they're starting to rethink, do I really, can I really afford to rebuild the old way? Or do I need to invest in such a way where I know this investment is going to be safe for decades to come? And so that's what Z-Sphere, that's our value proposition. That's what we bring to the table. In addition to the sustainability and energy efficiency that we also offer. So what we did was, we, we took a step back and, and we looked and we said, okay, what are the most disaster resilient buildings in the world? Well, for anybody who's been to Disney in Florida, you know, Disney, um, Disney World in Florida, you'll notice there's a thing called Epcot and the, and the big ball in Epcot. Well, that has been there since 1976 or so, I believe it was right around the centennial for the U.S., and it's been there through decades of hurricanes and everything else, and, and it's still there, it's still standing. So what that, what that shows is decades of resilience to disaster-prone event, disaster events, geodesic shapes, especially rounded shapes, are ideal for high wind and things like that. So what we did was we said, okay, how can, how can we add further value in disaster-prone events? And, and here's what we did. So we looked at, okay, wind's a problem, but Ben, a bigger problem, over 80% or upwards and over 80% of the financial cost to an insurance company or uninsured 
real estate in a given area is due to water damage. Whether it's wind driven rain coming in the windows and doors or just, you know, temporary flooding from storm surge, whatever it may be. And so unless you're addressing flooding in those areas, you're still going to have the same costs of rebuilding because most of the most of the cost is water damage. So we took the task on solving the flood problem. And what we did was we created a geodesic shape. It's a round spherical shape in our building. That's why it's called Z-sphere. And what we've done is we've created a building that is watertight that keeps the water out. And so let me give you an example. So our buildings are designed to withstand many feet of storm surge or short-term flooding in our conventional system, okay? Meaning you can have a local flood and it's waterproof and it's going to protect the contents of your residence or your commercial building or your municipal building. And so when it comes to, let's say a municipality, right? They've got computers, they've got paper records, they've got other things that they have to protect from damage. So why wouldn't you build a building that is not only extremely wind resilient, but also flood resilient and protects the content? So we check two big boxes. So we check the flood box, the flood damage box, and then we also check the wind box. So our standard building is resilient to upwards and over 200 mile an hour sustained wind. So far in excess of a category five hurricane, our research shows that sometime in the next decade, we're going to experience a category six hurricane. So we might as well build for it now, and we did. And so mm -hmm. when, you, when you look at our website, you'll see all of our you know, features and everything else. By the way, our structure is third party validated from a, a, a very good engineering company here in Southeast, the Southeastern US. So we're third party validated. And the next one, when, when you mentioned milestones earlier, Ben, so the next big milestone for us is we're current, we currently have our first model home under construction here in Southeast Georgia. We're getting ready to move into Puerto Rico to build several dozen model homes and first projects for clients, you know, Airbnbs and other things like that. And the next milestone for us is to have one of our, well, actually it'll be several of our buildings completed before hurricane season in 2023. Wow. Because the next milestone for us is me doing this type of live streaming during a hurricane. Oh, and wow. demonstrate demonstrating that not only am I safe, but I also have power. I have drinking water. I have working toilets, and I have communications. Yeah, and we're and, going to demonstrate that. Yes. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm excited and not scared for you because I'm, I'm. I know you're. I've heard a little bit about your qualifications and and seen the the product, and um, I definitely definitely uh, seems to check out. So that'll be really exciting. 
you mentioned three things that you hadn't mentioned before that I think are unbelievable. So power in a hurricane, huge problem. Drinking water in a hurricane, uh, also obviously a big problem. But um, communications, that's something that I could not imagine how you could solve for. Because, I mean, just like, every, I think last what's in the last hurricane, we had communications go out in New Orleans for like a, a while. And um, yeah, so I'm in New Orleans. So it's obviously relevant to talk about. But um, yeah, can you tell us how you sure. solved um, those those problems? Certainly. Yeah, great question. So I actually did a post. Uh, it's going on almost a year now about Hurricane Ida. That was a lot like Katrina, you know, when it came through. And so, yeah, I was watching the power outages and everything else. And the night, just to that point, Ben, real quick, the night that Ida made landfall, 99% of New Orleans power grid was out. So yeah. when I think about what we do at Z-Sphere, I'm thinking to myself, over $120 billion were spent on reconstruction of New Orleans, and they could not do better than 1% availability of the power grid. Unbelievable. Right? So that ties directly back to the EROI, right? Look, if you're not investing your money and resources in something that's going to be resilient and sustainable over several decades, why are you doing it? And so that's proof, that's proof in the pudding right there. And so, uh, so getting back to your question, so, so how, how do we do that? Okay. So first of all, the sphere is round. Okay. So the wind, the wind to a sphere naturally flows around a sphere. So when you're dealing with climate change and extreme weather, you don't want to snub mother nature and say, okay, I'm just a flat wall and I don't care how much wind you throw at me. I'm going to, I'm going to take it. Right? No, 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 no. Let's look at it this way. How can I create a design that's harmonious with nature and climate change? And a sphere is harmonious with it because it allows the wind to naturally flow around. And there's something in, in engineering circles called coefficient of drag. The coefficient of drag on a sphere is extremely low versus a flat wall that's extremely high. So we take coefficient of drag and we've reduced it almost to zero. So that's one thing as far as the wind. Now you talk about drinking water, you talk about communications. So what I've done is I'm, I'm a systems engineer. I think about systems. And so what we've done is we have a safe building. Well, what we've done is we've integrated what we call appliances into our building that harvest rainwater or harvest water from the atmosphere as far as part of an evaporation process in heating or cooling your interior. And so we harvest that water and we store it much like the cisterns of very, you know, of yesteryear. And so we store that water and then what we do is we purify it and make sure that it's safe for drinking so that those systems are safe inside of our building during a hurricane or a flood or whatever it may be. So you always have access to potable water. Okay. The next two things that we did, and, and I, have to, I have to add, Ben, I have to add power into the equation 
because without power, you can't have communications or access to potable water because you have to have pumps to, you know, to pump the water out of the tanks, that kind of stuff. So what we've done is we have integrated solar panels that are integrated into the panels on top of our sphere. So they take on the same wind resiliency characteristics of the sphere. And so what that also does is because the sphere is round, the sun comes up in the east, right? And so we have solar panels on the sphere here. And then as the sun tracks during the day, we have solar panels all over the top and side of the sphere. And so we're generating power all day long and tracking the sun naturally as part of the shape of the sphere. Okay, so that's the power equation. And of course we have batteries. We also have a wind generator that I can't talk much about because it's very special and very unique. And let me just put it to you this way, at a high level, there, I don't know of a wind generator that exists in the world today that operates best during a hurricane. Wow. <laughs> it should, so it should let, operate let, the best, just intuitively. It should be the best time. You got a lot of wind. Why not? So let me just, let me just leave it at that. And we're doing some very special things around wind power generation. Mm -hmm. And so we, we, we then, we take that power that those solar panels generate, you know, during the day, we store that in batteries. And because our building is incredibly energy efficient, we are designed to have several days of reserve capacity in our batteries, you know, because hurricanes often ask for often last for a day, day and a half or more. And so you got to have a couple days of power. Okay. So we have our water stored inside. We have our resilient power that's generating power for us. Well, then we're also partnering with some of the top satellite companies in the country. And we are working with them on an integrated satellite receiver for our panels that gets mounted to our panels and also takes on the resiliency characteristics of the sphere so that the antenna doesn't get blown away during a hurricane. Mm, wow. And Ben, that's how we have resilient communications, satellite. Mm hmm. So, um, yeah, I think this is something that everyone in New Orleans should be pretty interested in <laughs> thinking about, uh, you know. <laughs> yes. Louisiana, Louisiana is is on our list because we understand the plight and the challenges of so many frequent natural disasters. You know, Lake Charles, Louisiana is near and dear to us. We have family and relatives on our team that live there. They're near and dear to us. They've experienced several hurricanes the last several years, and they're just they're at the point where, look, I give, right? right. <laughs> then they've been pounded year after year. So we're looking to help the people of Louisiana and coastal Florida and, and coastal Georgia, Alabama, wherever it may be. So we're Great. looking forward to, to helping people build resiliently and sustainably to, to withstand those hurricanes and have a, a very good quality of life, regardless of what climate change does. Right. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to see that. And, uh, I want to walk down the street and, and see as you're like, wait a minute, I remember before there was, where there was even one built, but, um, yeah, that would be, that'd be awesome. Right. But to, on that note, like, right. I can't imagine, or I can imagine that a lot of this must be fairly expensive. And I'm kind of curious to see, like, you know, 
obviously I think scale would probably help and um, growing into, or as innovations happen, it, it might help in the, the expense range or maybe it works now, but I'm curious, see like, what is the, um, you know, how much, what's the premium over like a traditional house or I don't know how you just tell us how you walk through the economic models of this or economic understanding. Cause it's just, yeah. it's a, it's gotta be quite different than traditional, um, you know, thought process on it. Yeah. Great question. So, um, remember I, I'm a systems guy, right? So when, when I think of things, I think about a bunch of variables in the value proposition for owning real estate. Right. And I coined a phrase with my team that I will continue to repeat for the rest of my life. In the near future, it's not going to be whether or not you can afford to buy a home or a business building, whatever else it is. It's going to be whether or not you can afford to operate it. And case in point. So right now, German industrial producers, German manufacturers, they buy natural gas for their heating needs, whether it's, you know, they're forging steel or they're making other things, they have to buy natural gas year, a year more or more in advance because they buy in such volume. Okay. The year forward contracts for German industry are 500% higher than they were a year ago. So I don't know about you, Ben, but I don't know many householder businesses that could handle a 500% increase in their power bill. Mm -hmm. Definitely would be like significant under the it's bottom a problem, line. Right? It's a yeah. problem. So, so that said, uh, where, I'm, where I'm going with this is that when I, the number one question that I'm asked from anybody in real estate is what's the cost per square foot? What's the cost per square foot? What's the cost per square foot, right? Everybody wants to know cost per square foot. And that's great if you're making an apples to apples comparison, right? But conventional real estate in the way that it's priced today does not take into consideration the operating cost of the real estate. And so the Z-sphere value proposition is much greater than just a cost per square foot. The great news is, Ben, to answer your question directly, and, and we are not publishing prices yet, but I'll give you kind of a, a, a baseline price, a starting price for our solutions. We have a 20-foot unit, which is about 550, 600 square feet. That's designed for the tiny home community and the minimalist community. Then we have a 30-foot unit. That's actually the model home that's being built here is a 30-foot unit. That's about 1,000 square feet, so nicely sized for a modest family. And then we have a 50-foot uh, unit. That is over 3,000 square feet, and that is designed to accommodate municipal needs, commercial business needs, schools, things like that. And so the, when, when you talk about pricing, so our, our, our starting price for, for our units is about 250000 just to give you an idea. So mm -hmm. it's, yes, is it a premium, but there's a tremendous amount of value in the package. And the first thing that I'll say is, what is the cost of having a conventional home destroyed, okay? And what is the cost 
of you not having that home for nine months, year, 18 months until it can be rebuilt again. Right. right? Nobody takes into consideration that cost. Or let me take it a step further. If you're, if you have a hospitality business on the coast and you're renting that and you have cash flow, if that building gets destroyed or the utilities get disrupted, you're out that cash flow for whatever period of time it takes you to get it back. Right. So even if you have insurance. Well, you know? well, even if you haven't, yeah, even right. if you haven't. You don't have the cash flow. Yeah. Yeah. They're not paying you for the lost income. I guarantee yeah. you they're not paying you for the lost income. So mm -hmm. the, the first deals, for example, that we're doing in the Caribbean are hospitality oriented because they're looking at our solution and they're starting to put dollars and cents together saying, Hey, my downtime is a fraction of what it would be with a conventional building and outage. I'm going to have clients throughout that whole time frame when everybody else is not. So it's a competitive advantage as well. Mm -hmm. And now what I'm thinking is be the first hotel to say, Oh, we have a hurricane coming in new Orleans. Come stay here and watch the hurricane. Come on. Come on. <laughs> That's, That's what right. I think about now. But yeah, oh, be... Ben, Ben, that's that's coming. It'll take people a little while to get comfortable with us. But we, mm -hmm. when we demonstrate consistently what we do, absolutely, they will they will do just that. Right? Yeah. I mean, why not? And that's um, that's that's what it is. It's like a lot of new technologies takes a while to catch on. How long do people not believe the Wright brothers actually had a plane? I think there's like news articles coming out like five years after they built the first plane that it wasn't even real. There's like you know, and yeah. it's like, but you know, other people saw it firsthand. It's, so that's what happens oh, with innovation, Henry, right? Yeah. Henry Ford is crazy. The automobile will never take off. Exactly. Right. As they're, as they're riding around in their horses and buggies. So <laughs> yeah, we've seen this before and it's just, you know, it's human nature. We're all adverse to change, but you know, we live in a, we live in a change intensive world. So mm -hmm. it's, it's really important that, and again, sincerely appreciate the opportunity to to speak with you on your podcast, Ben, and to your audience. The, the most important thing for us is to raise awareness around these, not only these challenges, which we see every day, but to let everyone know that there are solutions that are being developed to address them. Yeah, that's really what it's about. Um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, I guess, craziness and um, fear and, and, uh, catastrophic um rhetoric but you know ultimately a solution is the the way out so it's um, great to to know that people are working on it and um you know i'm definitely excited to have you on the podcast and in the future to, to check in and see how things are going but uh, are you ready for the lightning round absolutely all right let's do it so um first question is if you could have any superpower which power would you want oh wow um, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, a, that's a great one. If it's me personally invisibility, but if it's me from a, a Z sphere perspective, invincibility. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Nice. That's yes. a perfect answer. Yeah. You know, that was supposed to be the easy yeah. question, but it's, it tends to be the hardest one. So, um, what's your favorite uh, book or what's the one that's helped you the most? That's easier. Uh, maybe. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, I, I've really got, I've really got three favorites mostly because they chronicle the, the human struggle throughout decades 
and um, and you know over over long periods of time. One of my favorites is Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. Nice. Another one is the Gulag. Actually, there's three volumes: the Gulag Archipelago from Alexander Shuldzenitsyn, and then the third one is the Long Emergency by James Howard Kunstler. Yeah, that's um. So that's a that's a pretty long book, I I'd say. But um, I know uh, Atlas Shrugged. I read this a couple months ago and it's uh one of the the best stories I, i've heard and it's crazy how you can fit so much um so much actual occurrences so many actual problems in the narrative fiction form and that's what i this is the best books for me like i love um yeah. c.s lewis and um the the uh, out of the silent planet because you know he can fit so much philosophy and knowledge in like a story because you can really identify with it and there's emotions to it. And it's just, it's beautiful. Certainly. Certainly. Great. So what motivates yeah. you to continue each day, which I think we probably touched on, but um, if, if yeah. there's anything else. So, yeah. So 13 years ago, um, I, I like many inventors, not all, I like many inventors had a bit of divine inspiration in the Z sphere. And so I went to went to bed one evening and I woke up the next day and the the fundamental uh, construct of the Z sphere was in my head. And I was presented with that. And I can honestly say that from that day forward, there have been divine circumstances that have presented themselves in the form of people or partners or material or whatever it might be that have been nothing short of amazing and it's not just that testimonial for me my entire team has experienced it so it's been it's been quite amazing so there's there's a divine inspiration here and when you think about motivation there's no greater motivation than being part of something that is is larger than us mm -hmm. yeah definitely agree it's always um feels good where you're not just a part of the machine but like you you know you help it tick and you know help it keep going like well you are a part of the machine and you're needed to to make everything go yeah. and, uh, it's when you feel yeah. that it's it's the it's a great feeling so yes. um what advice would you give to someone who wants to follow in your footsteps from a startup and a founder perspective revenue 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 and clients get paying clients revenue 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 from as as a founder from a startup perspective following in my footsteps from uh the the energy and the energy efficiency side of the sustainability and resiliency side of the equation pay attention to energy and understand the energy markets because they drive ultimately what we require as human beings in our lives, right? Whether it is shelter or water or food, whatever it may be, pay attention to energy and use that and understand that is the driving force or, or must be the driving force behind how you design something and, and create real sustainability and real resiliency. 
Right. And, you know, this is kind of going beyond the, the scope of the podcast. But when you think about the, um, the, the Fermi paradox and how we talk about species, like being a species that go out into the cosmos, it's always from the energy perspective. It's like how, where are we sourcing energy from defines how far we can go in the universe, how far we can expand. Um, you know, can we put a Dyson sphere around the sun like and have unlimited energy or, you know, are we stuck with just burning stuff? <laughs> 100%, Ben. 100%. Great. So yeah. since I put you on the spot, I want to give you a chance for revenge. So uh, what's a question you have for me? Oh, wow. Um, when before, before college, and I'll even say before high school, what was one of your young aspirations? What did you idolize? What did you want to be when you grew up? Hmm. When I was really young, I wanted to be a lawyer because I was both my parents are lawyers. Um, and I was really good at arguing with them. And <laughs> whenever they'd um, taught you some skills. Yeah. Yeah. It's like when they would, if they decided that I needed to be disciplined, I'd always make them explain why. And if they couldn't explain why I would just ignore it because or not ignore it, but fight back because I would say, um, you know, that doesn't make sense, but it's like that, I wanted to be a lawyer because I thought that I could, uh, you know, use that skill that I, I clearly ha have been developed, developing and um, you know, do something in the future. And Bravo. eventually, Bravo. yeah. <laughs> and I think that the thing is, as I've evolved my thinking and realized that, yeah, I want to, I want to go into business where I can create something and, you know, provide value and understand how to uh, interact with other people through the, I like to call money as a language. It's a the great communicator that someone in, in China can understand what I'm saying because, you know, money is a form of, of value that we both understand, that we both, um, you know, require. And to, you know, I, but the critical thinking skill and the, um, you know, that like intellectual ability that I got from having the lawyer influence um, has definitely helped me understand the world and um, have a framework that I can bring to business. So it's a... Uh, so yeah, that's a it's a little bit about young Ben. Uh, outstanding, very good. Well, thank you for sharing that. Of course, so it's my pleasure. Well, um, lastly, I know we mentioned, but where can people find out more about you? I know this is a gonna be an exciting journey, and I'm sure people are gonna be curious about what you're doing. Yeah, thanks, Ben. So as I shared, you know, look us up on LinkedIn. Look David Atkinson up or Z Sphere, the letter Z, the word S P H E R E. You'll find us out there. We've got an event coming up here in the next few weeks. We've got tremendous attendance so far. I encourage you to go out and sign up for our event to attend and listen to learn how ZSphere is really revolutionizing investing in real estate and, and the unique value proposition that we're providing. And then our website is myzsphere.com, M-Y, the letter Z, S-P-H-E-R-E.com. Awesome. Well, check it out. And I'm excited to follow along as well. Well, David, appreciate you coming on the show. We learned a ton and this is a very exciting, uh, some, you know, problem near and dear to, to me and something I'm excited to learn about any innovation. So I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, Thanks for David, having me, Ben. It's a pleasure. David and everyone, keep making awesome. Before you go, I just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to another awesome episode of Real Estate Milestones. If you've been enjoying the show and you'd like to offer your support, 
please leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to increase the show's visibility and help the message get out to a greater audience. I really appreciate your time and support and keep making milestones.